Welcome back to a particularly buoyant Fearless and Devotion podcast. The reason being Wales have qualified for their first World Cup in 64 years. I was lucky enough to be there at the Cardiff City stage last night before I give my version of events. Andy, Liam, Andy, you first. Did you watch it? What are your overriding feelings apart from pride and joy? Yeah, watched it. Watched it in London with a few uh, expats. Um, really enjoyed it. Good, good sort of coming together at the end. We all sat together and discussed it, trying to work out how, if if at all, we can get to Qatar, and if I have to sell a kidney before I go, um, or while I'm there. Um, but you know, as you said, it's just it's just lifted the whole country. You just feel so proud that the nation's so small that you know football is one of isn't the main game like it is in in a lot of other countries um but you know we've pulled together when we were a small squad i think we've we've had an amazing achievement yeah i think you're right i mean the euros you know qualifying for euro 2016 and 2020 has put us on the map i.e european map this puts us on the world stage different fish entirely it nets the faw an initial 10 million pound you know, some of that's going to be reinvested into the grassroots aspect of the game. You'd like to think to see it develop. I mean, the domino effect is is pretty massive, isn't it, Liam? What's your take on it all? Yeah, it's absolutely monumental. When you think it's not just the the value in terms of football in Wales, I think there's quite a large symbolic value as well. You know, when you I was watching it home on the TV, and when you see at the end David Yuan singing Amaro Heed with Gareth Bale and all these Welsh footballing stars. It's, I don't know, there's something a bit, a bit more, it's almost got sort of national implications in terms of Wales being proud of itself as a nation. Just seems to lift everyone's mood. So yeah, it's, in terms of the footballing achievement as well, though, it's, that, that is absolutely massive. You know, first time since 1958. Um, Yeah, there must be some people who've been waiting so long just to see that. Um, And I think it's great for everyone. And unlike um, Wrexham's bad luck in recent weeks, which has see us, seen us fallen, uh, <laughs> fallen at the final hurdle again, it's nice to have a little bit of a look on our side with the national team, as with the, was the case with a stonewall penalty that Joe Allen should have given away. And then the referee's gone to VAR, not viewed the screen, is happy with um, his assistant's view of it. And we've we've got away with one there, haven't we? Massively. Did you think it was a penalty? Everybody else did. I thought it was. Straight oh, of course, it was. Definitely was. Definitely was. You know, somewhere, somewhere, Joe Jordan's shivering, and he doesn't. He, he didn't know why, but that is just a bit of luck we've needed in that. Um, in a situation like that, it's just as Liam quite eloquently put it. It's just so good for the country. It's just giving everyone a lift. Even my mum, who's not a football fan, is proud as punch that we're going to the World Cup so you know when you can cut through football to my mum you really are uh, you really are winning yeah it was it was a special day yesterday like I said I was fortunate to be down there grown men crying at the end myself included and it was just it's, it's no longer little old Wales where you know previous times when there was five six thousand people there and we were lucky you know we'd be celebrating if we got a corner 
you know, now we're, now we're, we're going up against the, the very best there is to offer in the game. And it's just crazy. It's crazy what, what we're doing with the team we've got. You know, Bale continues his career path. There was a lot of worries yesterday that he would retire, despite uh, Rob McElhenney's tweet that he may try and entice him to the to the race course, which is yeah. <laughs> highly unlikely. Um, just, just in terms of the Wales thing, it kind of leads us naturally into, obviously, we want to see internationals back up in the north. If you haven't signed it already, go and sign a petition. Staging for yeah, definitely. It's good to see that we got to 10,000 just before the, the game kicked off. Massively. And thanks to all the Grimsy, Grimsy fans that, that, that helped with that. You know, one good turn does another. The, the donations to the Mariners Trust that help some of their fans get to the player final, which we'll come to shortly. But yeah, it was just it was just a special day. And like, like Andy's already said, you know, you know, you might have to sell a few more teeth or lose a few more teeth like you have done in recent weeks to uh, to, to fund a trip to... Um, I didn't know Qatar is half the size of Wales. I had no idea it was that small. It's the size of Yorkshire, isn't it? It's the size of Yorkshire. Yeah. It's not, not as cheap as Yorkshire. No, God, well, yeah. <laughs> not as mean as Yorkshire. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's probably... It's the richest uh, country in the world. And because of that, there's no budget options, so there's no sort of you don't get a premier in in Qatar. You get a five star on nothing. And well, I think that there is there is talk of um of there being a uh, sort of docked cruise ship as accommodation for Wales fans. Apparently, that's one of the options that's being looked at by by some of the official travel partners of uh, of the FOW. So we'll wait and see what happens with that. Uh, in terms of Wales and what it means to, I suppose, from, from a Wrexham aspect, if, if anything. I just wanted to put this to you, really, because it's that time of of, um, of the year where the transfer rumours go into overdrive, who Wrexham are going to buy. We've not really thought about who we might lose, which, you know, I suppose is natural because previous times, you know, the Eagles would circle and come in for our best players, whereas now we're not in a, in a position where we have to sell, which is good. My, my poser to you two is, you're sat home, you're Jordan Davis, you've had a really good season, you're on a really decent wedge with your hometown club on, on a long-term contract. You've just seen the team, the, the, the country of your birth and the, and the country that you ultimately have designs to play for and represent, qualify for a World Cup. Jordan Davis is now stuck in the National League for a further season. So do you go... Bearing in mind that that he went on record recently, but I think before the Bromley game, and he was quoted as saying that, I think it was something along the lines of, I'm not going to lie, I came back to Wrexham to put myself in the shop window to try and get a club higher up. So he's gone on record as saying that. Fair play to him. Does he mm. now stick or twist? If somebody was to come in at a higher level, and it's, it's, a, it's a very, very short turnaround, five months of the World Cup, does he look at that and go, this is give this is giving me a window of opportunity to really try and get into that setup now, or does he bide his time and give it another season? Because I, I think if he stays, which I hope I, I hope and think he will do, and if we don't go up next season, then I think that's when he makes the leap. But if you're him, what 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 are you thinking, and what do you do? Uh, for me, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because the, you mentioned it earlier, Jordan is on a bloody good wedge at Wrexham, so. Yeah. 
it can't be a mid-range League One club that comes in for him because they wouldn't be able to afford him. They probably wouldn't be able to give him any more than what we're, we're giving him now. This, so, this, this isn't a money issue, is it? This is about wanting to play for your country. Yeah, but but that, that leads me to my next point. So say it's a championship club. Say it's like, so I don't know, let's pull Middlesbrough out, out, the, uh, out the air. Is Jordan going to go straight from Wrexham and get into that Middlesbrough side straight away? Maybe not. And if you've got five months before the World Cup, if you're not playing regularly and establishing yourself at a new team, which might take a bit of time, especially coming up to the levels he has, is it actually counterproductive for him to, to, to leave seeking a Wales place? Would he be better off playing, you know, regular first team football and being the star of the show? I don't know. Liam, what do you think? Um, he's, he's sort of not been stung once before, but, you know, he's he's gone to a club at a higher level, not quite made it and come back down. If that would make him wary, I don't know. But I think it, it would be hard. I mean, I know we're speaking hypothetically, but quite difficult for him to burst into the Wales setup in that short a space of time. I think a lot of the established players are probably going to be the more likely ones to be taken to a major tournament. So I don't know. He's, he's had an absolutely superb season and... I know it's just slightly off the point, but, you know, we look at everything he's been through. He's done really well to get as far as he is this season. I think I think he could build on it again, get a push-up into League Two, and maybe that's where you you know, you know start to look at moving up again. The only reason I ask that is that, is that he, he, he'll be 24 in August. So it's safe, it's safe he had massive designs to play in the World Cup, for example, and he doesn't make it this time. Then it takes you to the 2026... 20, that's at your peak end, you know, 29, wherever it'll be then. Is that my, my maths is shit? Is that right? Yeah, yeah it'd be 28. 29. So, I mean, I, I think in my head, Jordan's one of those guys that if he can get to play for Wales in whatever context, then that'll be, that's a great starting point. I don't think he has this, I don't suddenly think it's going to be all about the World Cup. But yeah, I, I just thought it was an interesting point to make because we all want to see, um, players from Wrexham represent Wales again, as was a regular thing back in the day. You know, we'd have three people called up and we'd have the game postponed so for international call-ups. It seems mm. like an alien concept now. So, yeah, I just, yeah. I just thought it quite an interesting thing. I I, I think he'll stay. I, I can't, going to your point, I think he's had his fingers burnt a little bit with the Brighton thing. It probably did him well. He could have gone to Doncaster before he came here. I think Doncaster were looking at him. Um, but it's just something to the point raised yesterday. My mate who's a Swansea fan is like, oh, we'll take Jordan off your hands. And I was like, mm, I don't think so. But then you just never know. <laughs> you never know. So, you know. I think like, the one thing, the one last thing on that is I think he will get better the, the, the higher up the leagues he goes when you don't have a, a six foot four guy kicking you up in the air um, and zero protection from, from referees. If you get further up, you'll have more time on the ball. And I think his quality will will come out even more. Um, so, you know, I think it will happen for him. I just hope it's with us. Yeah. So, Jordan, if you're listening, um, please, just for the love of God, set everybody's mind at rest and just um, definitely stay in, lads. Keep up the good work on the podcast or words to that effect. That'd be great. So there we are. In terms of players incoming and outgoing, what's, what was your thoughts on the retain list? No great surprise as far as I'm concerned. Good luck to all those who came. Thank you for your service, etc., etc. Um, mm. What was your thoughts on that, Liam? 
There were no great surprises in there. Um, I think the one comment that some people looking at it and not quite realising how the retain list works, there were some people, you know, questioning if we could, if got rid of a couple more, but, you know, obviously we, we've actually got quite a few players tied down into contracts, whether it's for a year more or two. I still think that there's a couple of fringe players that you'd be potentially looking to move on. I'm thinking maybe the likes of Dibble, Tyler French, that sort of player, just so we can get some, you know, real quality in the squad. But in terms of the retain list itself, yeah, no shocks for me really there. You know, Ponticelli obviously works his backside off when he plays, but if you want someone coming off the bench and, and making a difference, which is, I think, where we fell down against Grimsby, you know, these are the areas we really need to improve. Yeah, it's about squad, isn't it? It's about Stockport had quality in all areas. We had a very good first 11, but the injuries told in the end and we didn't we didn't really have the quality off the bench to 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 really change a game when we needed it. So if you think about revamping the squad as a whole, yes, you know, Thomas leaves, Ponticelli leaves, you get one, maybe two top, well, not top class, but better, better grade of striker. You probably look for another centre half. And I think Dan Jarvis leaving puts you in the market for another creative midfield as well. Maybe it's like a Joe Sabara who didn't go up with, with Solihull um, yesterday. But, you know, that's that's where you've got to be looking because, as I say, you know, the first 11 is pretty good. Underneath that, it's it's an okay squad, but it could be better, especially with the money and an extra transfer window Parkinson now has to, to revamp this. Any thoughts on, on any names, any, any in the know? Andrew, you've got your finger on the pulse when it comes to that. I wouldn't mind uh, Andrew Dallas from uh, from yeah. from Solihull. He looked class yesterday. Yeah, good goal scoring record. Bit of a hybrid, you know, bit of a target man, but you know can run with the ball and has got a bit of pace. You know, one thing I was thinking, and someone said it uh, a couple of days ago on our chat group, that apparently the quickest player is Tyler French. Well, you know, it's great to have a quick defender, but shouldn't we have lightning quick strikers as well? And you know, wing backs. I, I think we do need a little bit more pace in the in the team. So it would be nice to to address that. Someone who can stretch a team coming off the bench if we need to be, if we need it. Um, and as I said, a creative mid and another another centre half and probably another keeper because well, Leighton's great when he's fit, but you know he does get injured for spells of the season. Do you take Wayne? Yeah. <laughs> Man of the match display. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to sort of make about about all your incomings and outgoings. I've just seen a, a, t- a tweet that somebody's put out one of the the non-league in the know accounts suggesting that Paul Mullin is is interested or is being enticed by Salford City. I'm gonna. I'm gonna I might. I might look like a twat. I'm gonna call bullshit on that. He, he said so much recently about how much he loves it and. You're going to get a bromance going with Ryan Reynolds. You're not just going to bugger off and trade that in for a bromance with the bloody Neville brothers, are you? That's a bit of a, yeah. bit of a moot point. What, what, what a fall from grace that would be. Again, I think it's if he is going to leave, it's going to be a, it's going to be for a club at a higher level than Salford. Um, it would be top of league, league one, uh, bottom of the championship sort of team, I think. So I, I can't really see Salford. I don't think that's that's an upgrade at all. In fact, if, it's a downgrade. I know they're a league club, but you know, it's it's not it's not Sunderland, is it, or or one of the big big boys? So we're we're confident we're keeping the likes of Molly and 
and, and Jordan. Are we thinking, Liam, any, any potential outgoings? Could you see sort of maybe Clueworth maybe getting a move and potentially being loaned back to us? Or, or do you think it's still early days for him yet in terms of career progression? I know he struggled sort of, you know, in the in the playoff match, but overall, what an absolutely incredible season he had. You know, sort of went from a player who we didn't really see as being in the picture. Then Harry Lennon picks up an injury and, you know, all of a sudden... He had this amazing run of games where I think it was a bit uh, a bit extreme, but I compared him to Beckenbauer after some of those performances where he was playing in tri- triangles down the left-hand side. Um, so for me, he is definitely one of the standout performers. And you know what? I wouldn't blame him and I wouldn't blame one the, you know, a side higher up, you know, even championship level if they took a gamble on him because the potential there is huge. Yes, he had a, a, you know, a tough game in the in the playoffs but then so did every player in defence to be honest I don't think any of them covered themselves in glory so I don't know anything but I wouldn't begrudge it to him whatsoever You just mentioned Harry Lennon Andy is he fortunate to be given time to prove his fitness or, or, or No I you... keep him I think, I think I think he was our best defender until he got injured and a left-sided centre half worth their weight in goals so no I definitely would keep him um, it adds balance to the team if you've got a left footer there um, you, the one thing you've got to hope is that this med- medical team that we've got at the club, which is you know quite a, apparently international standard, can get to the bottom of his injury and help him out, and you know get into a stage where he can play a game a week. I don't think he's ever going to play every single game of the season, just just the way his body works. But if you can get him to play important games, you've got a good player there. You think Lennon was better than Aaron Hayden? Um, I think Aaron Hayden. No, over the course that's of the a season, yes or no question. It's... <laughs> I mean, for the first part of the season, I think Lennon was better than Aaron Hayden. Yes, but I think once Hayden really got got more into the sort of the back three and and how to, how to play with us, he he was probably you know he was our defender of the season. Yes, but that's over the course of the season. Lennon didn't have that. He made. I would all I would say is Lennon made a better start than Hayden, but Hayden was better overall. Okay. So before we bring you our special guest for this week's pod, um, just a quick mention on the playoff final. Congratulations to Sean Pearson, um, ex delivery delivery driver for Fat Ball. I'm sure he said at the start of the season that he said they were going to struggle because they, they they struggled to score. Um, so that made a mockery of that completely fooled us all. So. Well done to him. Uh, I, I mean, no great surprise that, that they managed to do it. I didn't see it. Did the best team win? Did any of you watch it? Um, I watched it. I had it on before the Wales game. Um, I think Solihull started well, but Grimsby did what they've done in every playoff game this season. They took it to extra time and they were stronger in extra time. Um, and, and, you know, they've got good players like McAtee. Uh, you know, he can't last 120 minutes, but he does the damage, he ties them out, and then they bring on the big big lads that they've got. And they just did a job on Solly Holly. They were professional. They've got a good manager there who knows how to get out of that league. And I'm I'm glad because, you know, I can see I can see that they're a proper club with proper supporters. Um, and they would have been a problem for us next season. You sort of think that maybe Solly Hall have had their chance. Some of their better players may get picked off and maybe they won't come as strong again. I don't know. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad that Grimsby went up. Good luck to them. Yeah, people refer to the teams that win the playoffs. You know, they go into sort of 
playoff mode. I don't entirely know what that means, but Grimsby strike me as that sort of club. You know, they've got Paul Hurst there, who's been there, done it before with them already through the playoffs. I think the knowledge from that experience, you know, would have paid off massively for them. I, I didn't, I didn't see it coming in all honesty in terms of Grimsby. Um, I think that are they probably one of the first teams to finish as low as they didn't get promoted. I'm pretty sure they probably are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so um, it sounds daft in a sporting merit sense. I, I sort of hoped Solihull did it just because they've been consistent over the season. But then again, I don't really have any, any beef with, with Grimsby. They've got a decent fan base. Um, we've, we've had half of their players play for us previously. So it's pretty hard to dislike them or begrudge them in all honesty. In terms of other news coming out of the club that we kind of might have missed with the, with the deadlines when these clubs go out, was the um, little bit of a, of a discussion over of a season uh, season ticket prices when they came out, the ones that were going to be put on general sale uh, this week at the time of recording. What were your thoughts on it? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. I, I've, I've sort of ill-prepped this side of, of the pod, this particular segment really, but I think... I put, we put a bit of a straw poll out and it had like maybe 12, 1,600 votes. And I think the majority of people said it was a tad pricey, not extortionate. Um, I think it worked out something like, is it 14 quid a game? If you include the fact that we're going to have an extra home match as well with, with, with the extra team back in the division. I think my big bugbear with the season ticket is there was there was no warning that this was coming and they just sort of pushed out a tweet saying, we've got great news for you, here's a season ticket. And everyone went, oh, hang on, this is a bit of a rise, especially for, for the older groups, I think. I mean, I know they said they, they froze the prices, but if they'd have said, look, we are going to put the season tickets up, so so please take, take the early bird offer, um, you would be more prepared for when that tweet came out and you, you realised that, yeah, they had gone up by quite by quite. A percentage um but you know i didn't do the early bird so and now i'm stung with the with the increase if i'd have known that this was happening i would have definitely taken the early bird i don't know what you what do you do though do you can you sort of put a tweet saying oh by the way season tickets are going up at the um, moment you're you're still eligible for the early bird price it says on there that you've got until the 15th i think if you're an existing season ticket member oh Is have it? i right okay that's good sure i've read that because I saw that today, I think you got until the 15th, they're still reserved for you. But... I thought the early bird offer had finished. Um, it, um, but I'm pretty sure that was the case. I could be wrong, but I'm sure. Probably sound like a broken record on it, but for me it comes down to communication once again. Um, and like Andy said, you know, it's difficult. How do you do it? You know, I don't think you do it in a tweet, but the, there was talk of the... Yeah, the fan advisory board being set up in the you know the initial goals set up by Robin Ryan and fair enough, you know what that's probably not the been the top of their list in terms of sorting the football inside of things, but I think when you've got big decisions like that coming out, that that's where you feed it through is, you know we're a bit stuck in the moment. We don't the WST seems to have disappeared off the face of the planet. There was talk on Red Passion the other day of setting up some sort of you know new sort of trust something like the Dragons Trust to communicate with the club. I think that's the bit that's got to improve for me moving forward. And the most disappointing element is that these decisions on ticket prices affected, I don't want to say, you know, sort of vulnerable groups, because I don't like that term, but, you know, you're talking about older fans. Um, they've jacked the prices up um, in what is now the, what is it, the oil the oil money Wrexham stand? Um, sort of dragging the prices up in there. 
And I just, I just think the people that it's going to hit are the people that could really do without any extra cost rises, really. Yeah, no, fair enough, isn't it? I suppose, in hindsight, you know, similar to what Sean Ivey did with, with the Dragonheart pod at the time, you could have maybe done a recording, like a two-minute segment, this, this, this is coming out, this is what the prices are. You know, we've frozen season tickets for X, Y, and Z years. We do have them to their credit. Yeah. Hindsight's one of the things it's done with now. And, and you know, it'll be interesting. Just to see. Right, you know what? It strikes me as as, as League, League Two rises without the actual promotion. Yeah. Um, I've got nothing I've got nothing against them, them going up a little bit. Yeah, of course, you know, to, to run a club and to have the players of the caliber we do, yeah, you do need to, to, to get your, your, your finances in order. But... It, it just struck me as 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 a rise that was set for promotion, which they just haven't changed, and we're just going ahead with it now. I just hope there isn't there isn't a knock on effect and crowds crowds dip. I'm sure they probably won't, but it, you know it's 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 not a it's it's not what any sort of fan wanted really, especially where, as as we've said, cost of living is absolutely shooting up now, you know. Gas, electricity. This is this is just another thing that people can ill afford. Okay, and going into, we should be hearing some news about friendlies and stuff soon. I can't. Have we got one confirmed? Didn't Humphrey Humphrey Care Humphrey Care confirm that we've got one against Sunday? And I can't remember what it was now off the top of my head. Um, but it was definitely Nantwich. Nantwich away. Yeah, of course it was for for. Allowing us to play our home game in inverted commas against Marine in the FA Cup uh, replay, wasn't it? Yeah. And that's the reason for that one. Who else would you want to see? I'm, I'm presuming the Philadelphia trip's going to be next year now. I imagine it's way too short notice for, for that to happen. So yeah. who would you like to see? Are we are we, are we likely to get a home a home friendly? Because we haven't had them for ages, have we? Because of... There's no reason that's been mentioned into it. Um, I think it's probably one of the first summers in a while. <laughs> yeah, we look like we could get... Maybe we could go for Grassford Athletic, Wrexham Athletic versus Grassford Athletic at the Athletic Ground. That would be uh, decent. But no, in, jokes aside, I want to see you know quite a decent standard of pre-season opposition going into it because... I think you can build up a head of steam. Parkinson's got a bit of a, a head start this time in terms of recruitment. You get things rolling early doors and I really want to see us on the front foot challenging from the off next season. That sounds sort of lofty and, and things like that, but it really shouldn't be in terms of our budget, I don't think. No, fair enough. Andy, do you want to see high-profile name, friendly-wise? I think we're, we're over I think, team. We Yeah. Had, we had a big name in friendly. It's been a long time. I mean, we used to get Premier League teams, but I think you need to book Premier League teams probably two two seasons in advance. I just don't think you can drop a call to Liverpool and they say, "Yeah, okay, we'll 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 be down next week." I think that is long term thing. So I don't know if we'll ever get a really big Premier League team, but you know the likes of Burnley or Stoke or you know that sort of level of Championship team It'd be nice to have a a home tester against the. Uh, Against them, and you know that sort of team will, will more or less bring a full side to the re- to the race course. So that's what I'd be. That's what I'd want. One or two of them, a couple of away ones, to toughen us up. Perfect preseason for me. So we've we've prattled on about various things. So we will now bring you this week's podcast guest. I had a really good chat with this guy. Recently retired from the game. 
He spent I think, nearly eight years at Wrexham, there thereabouts, almost 250 appearances. So enjoy um, the ride that Mr. Mark Carrington takes you through. Well, it's the last year when a certain uh, player of ours decided to, uh, well, I wasn't sure if it was his decision, it probably wasn't. He moved to a different club and I got in touch and I said, you've got to do the podcast with us. And he replied, I will do it when I retire. Well, that day finally arrived last week and he is with us right now. So after eight seasons with Wrexham, 274 appearances and six goals, I hope I'm right in saying all that. We welcome Mr. The Newly Retired, Mark Carrington, to the podcast. Welcome, Mark. How are you? All good, guys. Thanks for having me. It's like good to finally get on. <laughs> so how is how is um, re- retirement treating you? Was it, was it always like, I, mean, I suppose when you reach a certain period of your life, it's always in the back of your head anyway, as opposed to how it's going to pan out. So have you just been enjoying the downtime? Yeah, obviously I only announced it last week after we got knocked out of the playoffs. Um I had been toying with the idea uh, towards the back end of the season. Um, obviously, there's, there's never a right time or a wrong time, really. But I'd always said that uh, I wanted to to bow out on my terms, and I didn't want to be scratching round and um, just somebody retiring me or my legs had gone, and just not getting a couple of games here and there. Uh, I've had a good season at Kidderminster. I played forty games. Um, and we've had a good season, done well. Obviously, didn't quite get over the line with promotion. Um, but so, yeah, obviously, they offered me a new contract, um, which I was grateful for. They, they said that they would they really wanted to keep me, but I just had to make that decision. As I said, I, I wanted to go out on my terms and having had a good season, didn't want to sign enough for another year. And then you never know what's around the corner and not have quite as good season and, and don't go out with as, as good lasting memories. Yeah. So, I mean, there's nothing sort of physically or anything like that. It's just a case of now just feels the right time for you because you could have had another season. You may have got injured or it may not have panned out as well as it could, I guess. So it's kind of nice to, to kind of finish on a high despite, you know, not, not, not getting through the playoffs, but it's still a high to finish on. Exactly, yeah. I just felt, um, obviously, we had the, the good FA Cup run, which uh, was brilliant memories. Um uh, and I think other than actually getting promoted, the season couldn't have gone any better. Uh, I, did, I didn't envisage when I signed there playing 40 games, um, probably nearly every minute of, of the, the, the big games. And uh, yeah, as you say, just to go out on top on my terms. Uh, but physically, I, I could probably play for another couple of years. Yeah. Um, but it's just a case of where I would have played as well. I mean, Kidderminster, as I said, did offer me a new contract, but logistically, I'd done a year there and it's a great club and I would have loved to have stayed there if it was closer to home, but I couldn't do that journey every day again, which I'd done for, for the season. So um thinking about it realistically where I could have gone other than Kidderminster. Um, it just it just wouldn't have been for me, I don't think. So I think the time was right. Yeah. 16-year career. I mean, when you started, did you imagine that? Did you hope for that? I mean, that, you know, it's, it's, whichever way you look at it, it's pretty good going. 16 years in the business. Yeah, obviously it's a tough industry and especially 
at the sort of levels that that I've played at. Um, you're you're only getting two year deals probably at, at the most, and uh, a lot of times now, and as you get older, it's one year deals. So yeah. it does it is a bit of a, a testing time sometimes coming to the end of seasons. And so I'm quite pleased, yeah, to have stayed in for for 16 years. I think when I started, I always. I always had in my head that if I can get to 35, I've had a good career, and uh, that's so that's what I've managed to do. Yeah. So before before we come to Wrexham in a minute, what what is? I mean, I suppose it was a natural question for the end of the pod, but I kind of just I'm just being selfish because I want to know what the answer is. <laughs> so what what's what what is the plan now? Because I imagine you you're always you're always thinking ahead. What am I going to do after football? So what what is the next thing for you? Are you going to stay in the game? Or have you got a business interest or or something that you want to pursue out of it, or both? Yeah, I'm I'm going to go into the family business. Um, my wife's uh, father owns a it's a, it's a car garage. Uh, it does parts, uh, obviously, and then there's property as well. Uh, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go into that. There's there's a role in there for me. Um, yeah. It's worked out good timing, really. That. There's a little opening that I can I can slot straight in um, and go into that and just yeah enjoy something new really. Um, obviously, I could have probably gone into the coaching role and that, but um, my little lad's just started playing football now. He's only five, nearly six, so I'm going to get involved with with his team um, and try and progress up. Just taking him and enjoying it, doing it that way, uh, and as I say, doing doing the family business and um, just enjoy being able to. Do the things I've never been able to do. Have holidays when I want, uh, weekends off. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Was that always one of the bugbears as a footballer? Is that you have to plan everything around around seasons? I, I know. Yeah. Well, one of the, the the few downsides of being a footballer, I imagine. Yeah, it's nightmares. Obviously, you can only holiday in May and June. Christmas <laughs> is the busiest time. Every time it's a bank holiday, it's your busiest period, uh, and you can never book anything because even. You get a schedule at the start of the month, right? We're off this day. Let's book something. Something happens. There's a replay. There's a game called off. Training's changed. You're always on pins. Never can book anything. So that is probably the biggest thing I'm looking forward to now that I can actually set time that we can do things as a family and nothing's going to change. Yeah. So take me back to I think September 2013. Jesus, where does the time go? <laughs> so I, I was. I'm pretty sure I was. I mean, you were at. Um, Barry, uh, the season before, and then you were uh, you were basically free agent at this point. You end up getting coming to Wrexham on long contract basis. Was it Kevin Wilkin? I think at the time that, that no, draft- it was uh, Mozza and Billy Barr. Right. Okay. So I think your first game was at Connors Key Nomads off the top of my head. I'm sure it was there. Been a friendly. Yeah, it was. I remember um, I came in here. Moz said, "I'll oh, come down to Connors Key and play the friendly." I'm sure they beat us as well. And that was, what, 10 years ago now. That nearly retired me that night. Jesus, I was ready to hang them up then. I thought this could be me done. <laughs> uh, but yeah, luckily I had another bash here. And worked so, out well, all right. Did, did Mozart know you? Was there was there a link there from Berry, Or how did that? How did it come about when you took that it, phone? It was actually Andy Bishop. Um, he was, I, left, I was with Bishop, Berry that summer. Um, uh, that season before, sorry. And Bish and Mozza knew each other and Bish came on loan to Wrexham the season before, didn't he, for a little bit before he signed permanent. Um, and I'd left Berry. Uh, I'd, I was supposed to sign for Southend, went down there for the week, uh, was ready to sign for him and then just decided, no, it's, I've lived away from home enough, I, I need to get back home. So decided not to take the contract and 
So it was just a free agent. Um, so yeah, and then Bish phoned me and said, "Why don't you come to be- uh, come to Wrexham?" So I was like, "Yeah, yeah, no worries. I'll have a put a word in for me from with Moss." Um, so obviously he did do, and he let me come in, come in and train. And then I think you you played for free for the first couple of months, I think, to get your fitness up. For, if I'm right in thinking that, I'm pretty sure that was the case, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I came in um, in the pre-season, as you say, with the Connors key. Uh, and Moz basically said to me, I've got enough money in my budget for one player, uh, but I've got to sign a centre-half. Uh, I don't need any midfielders. So I think he signed, was it, remember, Junior Natame or someone, was it? Oh, team, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he signed him instead. Um, so oh, that was me done. I, uh, I didn't think, and uh, I just went off and was still a free agent. And then a couple of weeks later, he ran me um, and he said, uh, would you come in and do a job and play right back for me? So I was like, I've never played right back before in my life. But I said, yeah, yeah, no worries. Apparently Bishop told him I was like Gary Neville at right back. So <laughs> I said, yeah, go on, then I'll come in. And um, he said, obviously, I can't, I, I can just give you a couple bit of expense money for coming in, a bit of petrol money. I said, yeah, no worries. Obviously, I'm not doing anything else. Gets me back in. Uh, so coming in and played right back and, um, and then after I think it was two months uh, they managed to sort me out a, a proper contract So Andy Bishop is either a very good liar stroke agent <laughs> or Andy Morell is really gullible so which one <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is some white lie to tell him I think I think Andy Bishop's really really persuasive <laughs> I'm sure his words to him were he's a mixture between Roy Keane and Gary Neville I think Andy wanted to pitch in there <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to ask you, Mark. I mean, obviously, you played probably every position apart from from goalkeeper for Wrexham. Am, am I right in thinking? Definitely yeah. the back, right back, left back, midfield, attacking midfield. I don't know if you ever played up front, but you probably went up there for ten minutes at the end of the game. But did you always think of yourself? I'm a centre mid. That's that's what Mark Carrington is. It just happened that circumstances with Wrexham you needed to fill in a little bit. All my career until I came to Wrexham, I was a box-to-box midfielder, uh, and that's all I'd, I'd ever played. But obviously, came to Wrexham, slotted in at right back, and then over the years, we do a job at left back. Yeah, no worries. Then we do a job on the wing. Yeah, all right. The, the Stoke game, I literally played up front with Connor, um, and then obviously as the seasons went on, as I was getting a bit older, started to do a bit of a job at centre half as well. And then it's only this season when I've gone to Kidderminster, I've um, gone back into midfield. And to be fair, I was thinking, oh, the last couple of seasons at Wrexham, I've started to think, oh, I'm probably more of a defender now because getting on legs are going a little bit. But this season I've been rejuvenated and I would now say I'm pretty much just a midfielder again. Um, I I had a quick word with with a few people who, who sort of play with you. And the overriding thing was top pro, Good pro, always, always sort of first to training. Um, Jay Harris asks, um, where do you do your pre-season, and is it true that your garden is bigger than Collier's Park? Uh, yes, <laughs> I do. do. <laughs> yeah, I used to get out with the balls and on the ladders in the back garden, and uh, yeah, it's probably a little bit bigger than Collier's. <laughs> wow. Fantastic! A proper, proper footballer's pad. That's what we want to see. You know this jazz. That's good stuff. So uh, to be fair, it's not it's not mine. It's the, the Mrs. Mum and Dad's back garden. Uh, we're building a house on the side of theirs. There's a plot of land where our house is being built, and the back garden at the back is there. So obviously, it's not my 
Wrexham don't pay that well. <laughs> <laughs> so just going back to to your first season, you won Player of the Year in your first season, um, and that ends up in you getting a uh, a two year contract. So just take us through that because you obviously came in and it just worked. It must have worked to, to stay as long as you did, but it, it clearly, I think you, you end up finding the right fit as a player, a club that, that you get and they get you. Did you feel that f- from that first season straight away that, great, I've done well, I've got a player of the season award, and it just, just seemed to, to, to sort of go from there, that that was the foundation for you in the next step of your career? Yeah, I think, I think as soon as I come in, I think it helped that I knew a few of the lads when I first come in anyway. Like I knew Bish, I knew Wrighty uh, before, I played with them before. Uh, and then, as you say, I had a good season. Like, Moz and Billy were brilliant, really enjoyed working under them. Um, and one player of the season, which was great to do in my first season, having come in late. Um, and then, yeah, I just felt like I really enjoyed it. Like this is somewhere I need to stay in. It's a massive club and uh, we need to try and kick on. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 weird, isn't it? We look back, and ultimately, there hasn't been a great deal of success during the the non-league days, which hopefully yeah. could be coming to an end soon. We'll see. Um, but I mean, is there any particular moments that you look back on and think, apart from the obvious stuff, which we'll get to, we'll cover the the Stoke goal and, and this, that, and the other in a minute. But was there any particular moments for you that that stood out? Obviously, it, it, we can go through the North Ferriby game and so on and so forth, but as a, as a sort of negative. But are there any particular moments for you you think, you know what, I really enjoyed that particular game or that particular season or worked under a certain manager? Was there anything that, that, that sort of come to full, you know, just came to the surface for you at once? Um, I think that the, the standout one is the Sam Rickett season. Um, I think I'll stand by it. I've said it. If Sam doesn't leave, we win the league. Like I've got no question about that. Um, we were the team, and it it was enjoyable to play in. Yeah, like home games. Majority we just turn up. We know we were going to win. We know we were organised. We'd move the ball. We'd get a chance. We'd score a goal. Uh, there was just a belief there, and um, yeah, I genuinely feel like if he hadn't left, um, we'd have we'd have gone up that year. Uh, and that's the one that that sort of still gets me thinking what could have been. Yeah, I mean, by his own admittance, he, he, he came on the pod last year and and he said that maybe I probably did go too soon, you know. Um, and but it was I mean, how difficult was that for the players? Because one minute he was there, next minute he's gone. I was placed on gardening leave, and then I mean, how did did that sort of tumble down and affect? The, the players because like you said one minute everything's fine the next minute he's tipping up at Shrewsbury so was that a, a bit of a, a sort of body? yeah it was weird it, we, we obviously heard the rumours um, that he was linked with the Shrewsbury job and we just thought yeah maybe there's a chance he could go to that and then all of a sudden we got the we got a text from him saying that lads I won't be at the Newport game the club told me to stay away which I, I don't know the ins and outs myself but mm. from what I've heard of Sam and what thing, yeah, I don't think I don't think the club handled it very well. I think he should have been allowed to have been at that game. I think they basically give him an ultimatum, which yeah. if he hadn't made his mind up, then I think he should have been allowed to take the game. And I think had he took the game, and it could have swayed him the other way. But 
I sort of feel as though the club pushed him into the decision in the end by uh, making him choose. And from what I'd been told by Sam, I remember having a conversation with him uh, probably the week before and he'd had a board meeting. Um, and I think it was when Danny Ward had just gone. So the club had had a bit of an influx of money. And Sam was so ambitious. He wanted this, he wanted that. He, he wanted it to be a professional outfit. And he used to say, he used to come in every day to the lads and be like, lads, what do you need? Anything else you need? Because if you're happy, happy environment will be better. Like, do you want me to get the showers done? Do you want this? Do you want that? And I remember he, he pulling me on the bus and he said, oh, I've had a board meeting with him and I told him we need this and we need this. And if like, now's the time, like if you want to go anywhere, we need to invest the money and we need to do this. And he said, they all looked at me like, as if to say, I can't do that. Like he said, I scared him a bit, I think with the, and I, and I think that would have been in the back of his head when, the shoes be coming I think he would have thought I think if the club had gone bam right we're, we're in the back here here we go let's I, I think honestly think he would have stayed and but I, I don't think he was quite sure he would have got that back in um, I think and rightly so well I say rightly so you can understand where they're coming from because obviously they've been burnt before and they've done well to get back up to where they got back up to um, obviously in terms of what had happened in the past and I can see why they were cautious like um but I do think if he'd have got shown a bit more back in there, uh, he would have stayed and we probably would have gone up. It was, I mean, when he came on here, we, we didn't know what to expect from him because there was this whole, you know, Sammy the Snake nickname that yeah. left. And to be fair, he came across as um, as quite quite open about everything. I think he showed a bit more of, of him rather than yeah. Sam the manager or Sam the player. It was like, well, there I am. I'm, I'm involved in a, in a sort of family business as well now, and I'm happy with that. You know, he, yeah. he made no bones about it that he wasn't planning on getting back in the game anytime soon. So, I mean, what what, what did he bring? What 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 made you think that he was the person that would that that was he would definitely take Wrexham back to the football league? Was it just his overall drive to improve standards across the board? Yeah, it was just everything about him was was so professional. He was meticulous for what he did and. Uh, and but he was a great guy as well. He was a great man manager. Uh, him and Graham Barrow worked so well together because uh, he had he had that bit of fear factor about him that you knew he could he could snap if he needed to. But most of the time he was just so relaxed. He was calm. He'd be the one, and it, it'd be more BG that would uh, give somebody a rollicking if they needed to. Um, he'd be more the the calm one, bit uh, good cop bad cop between the two of them, and it worked so well. Um, but he was just he was just such a a good guy as well. Like I remember when um, I met him for the first time. I met him in a cafe, and he was just like, "Right, I want to keep you." Uh, blah blah blah. And he told me the plan for what was happening and uh, everything he was saying just just sounded really good. And then uh, that was the year that I had my daughter ten weeks premature, um, and he was brilliant. He sent us gifts to the hospital. He was really good with letting me have a bit of time off to go to the hospital. Um, and just really, and I remember that pre-season, obviously I came back and I'd been just sat in a hospital for five weeks. I hadn't really done much. And to be fair, I was a bit out of shape and he was patient with me, let me sort of uh, get back fit in my own time and that. And then once I did, I got back in and probably played uh, some of my best football under him. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, just feels like such a long time ago, that that moment now. Um so we've had probably, I imagine, one of the better managers 
you've worked under. Is there anything? I mean, we don't want to don't want to dig people out, but are there any moments looking back you're thinking? I'm not really sure what was going on there. Was it? Was there? Was there any sort of particular ones you thought? Mm, I'm not sure. Was it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was there any people that you worked under that it just didn't, for whatever reason, that you thought it's it's not going to work out with this person personally or you know, collectively? Um, yeah, we had there was a there was a few spells really. I'd say um, I think obviously Kev Wilkin came in, and to be fair, I love Kev Wilkin. I think he's a he's a good guy, and I, I seen him the other week when we played Brackley and uh, they'll chat to him and he's he's a top guy but he just got it wrong with he, bringing in Gary Mills as his assistant he needed somebody just not somebody's first time and it killed him really and I think because he'd been used to part-time football as well and now we come in and we were full-time it was as though we were just doing things for the sake of it like he didn't know how to fill the week out really I got the impression but um so that was just an up and down season. Like, but to be fair, it was probably one of the most enjoyable seasons I've had because the lads were great. And it was, but it was just, it was just a madness of a season. Some of the things that used to go on, it was crazy. And then you, and then you moved to the first season under Gary. Gary Mills was brilliant. Had loads of players. And then for some reason, at the end of the season, he just got rid of everyone. And just, it was like he was. I don't want to be disrespectful to some of the lads that he signed, but it was as if he was just signing people for a laugh. Like it's like he was even he was trying to get the sack. <laughs> it, it was weird. We'll come to that in a minute. But you can't say that there was there was madness, all sorts of madness of things going on. You don't have to name names. Give us an idea. Were there, were there people letting off fire extinguishers? What was going on? Were they, give us give us an insight into some of that madness because it sounds like you were having a good crack with it all. Yeah. It was, uh, I'm just trying to think back to incidents. I just remember thinking like this, what's going on here? This is, it's a, it was just a crazy season. Um, the the Kev Wilkin one, like, he was he was such a good guy, Kev Wilkin, but he was like more like your mate. Like, I remember we got to the trophy, when we, as soon as we got to the trophy final, we'd be out training and he'd be nowhere to be seen. I'd be thinking, where's Kev here? And then you'd go in and he'd be on his iPad picking suits out on the next website and he'd be like, what do you think of this one, Caro? Like, yeah, it's all right, that gaff's not bad. <laughs> from the next website, wow. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we've got a lovely Italian suit from next. I think I've still got it. Yeah, there you go. Happy days. <laughs> so whilst you're all uh, you're getting in the mood for it, he, he's sorting out his suits. Um, yeah, we've we've had Kev on to be fair, and he, he is a good he is a good good guy. But that that season and and the trophy final disappointment. I think I think we've covered it in the past, but w- w- was there more? element of like player power in the dressing room around then because that I think that that was suggested previously and unless Andy picks me up on this one and tells me I'm wrong but I'm sure there was a suggestion that like you say Kev was more of a mate so did that work against him? Uh, I think he as I said I think he just needed maybe a stronger assistant uh, with him at the time which yeah I don't I, the lads just didn't really take to, to Gary Mills the his assistant and it sort of killed him a bit and I think if it had been Kevin someone else because the lads the lads actually did like Kev but they, they didn't like Gary Mills and it it shown and then obviously we had a lot of experienced players and I'm not going to say player power but obviously experienced players if once they don't like something they're going to let you know about it yeah. um, and it sort of became a point where we they were sort of rebelling against his ideas and um 
I think they they would have been better off that season if he would have either brought in an experienced uh, number two, or he should have. I remember Dean Keats at the time was obviously coming to the end. If he'd appointed Keats as his number two, which there was talk about, I think that would have worked a lot better because Keats had the respect of all the lads and obviously all the older lads, and that they would have they could have kept them in check. Um, and I think that would have worked a lot better. One thing we do do on this podcast is called the fearless moment, and it's sort of one moment that stands out for you in in, in your Wrexham career. One sort of moment that filled you with, with passion. I, and I just wonder if that if if there was a moment in even in that season which which really tipped it for you, even though you spent so long there. Well, I think that was the season of the Stoke goal, wasn't it? So mm-hmm. that, that that's obviously got to be my my main overriding moment when I think about back at Wrexham. But yeah, as you say, that season we. We played Stoke in the FA Cup. We got to Wembley, but ended up finishing right down in the league. And but if you look at the squad of players we had, that arguably is one of the best squads we've had. I'd say if you look player for player, some unbelievable players we had that year. Mm. So take us to Stoke then. I mean, one of the best atmospheres I think I've I've, I've been at a Wrexham game. It was like a Tim Tim you. Was it like January, early January? There was about five thousands of us. You know, we in the league we hadn't had a lot to celebrate, but but I think we yeah. really, we really enjoyed that that day. And it was a bit of a surprise that you were playing so far forward. When did that sort of evolution come? And Cal got Darlington come in at that time to give Kev a lift, and was that something that he'd worked on sort of tactically with you? Yeah, it was. Darlow was in by then, uh, and I remember we'd worked on it all week. Um, we had the the formation set up, and um, I remember, yeah, we used to do patterns of play and training, and uh, we had worked on it all week. And it was, um, yeah, it was it was a toss up between it was either going to be me and Connor up front or Bish and Malty, uh, and pretty much the team was set, other than who was going to who was going to play up front in them slots, uh, and we didn't even know until until we got there on the day, and uh, obviously they went with with me and Connor, uh, fortunately for me. And um, yeah, it became obviously, a, other than winning, uh, a great day scoring that goal. Take us through that, take us through that that goal, psychoanalyse it for us. And the reason I ask is that we never, ever get bored of watching it. So I don't ever want to get bored of hearing about it either. So just tell us your full recollection of that moment, because I think the reason why we celebrated so wildly is A, because of the point of the game it was, and B, because it was pissing freezing. So anything yeah. keep us warm. So just take us from from that that moment, how that get, goal came about, because obviously you started the move and finished it, really. Yeah, I was. I remember picking a ball up and uh, confidence, to be fair, that day. And, and we, because we were playing well and we were having a lot of the ball. And I think Wes York had just hit the bar before that as well. Um, so I remember picking the ball up in the middle of the park and just uh, started to run towards Ed. Defender, and as he came to me, I've slipped it off to Connor, and I just carried me running into the box. And as he's put the ball in, I remember thinking, "It's going to land on my head." This, and then I've headed it, and it's at the back of the net. And it's, it was just—it's a bit of a blur, to be honest. And I just remember thinking, like the emotion, the the rush I got, and I didn't know what to do. I could just see the fans going wild, and I'm, I'm running off, and I'm thinking. And I remember you can see in the celebration, I do a, a half jump and it's at a bit of a weird angle because I'm, I don't know what to do and that changed my mind halfway through and then oh, yeah, it's unbelievable like the emotion and the rush you get off that like, I don't think that'll ever be that won't be top for me I don't think 
I watched it back recently, and even 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 the last time I watched it, I didn't realise that when Connor delivers that ball, a fraction of a second before your head connects with it, he kind of does like a fist pump, like I've delivered a cracker there. <laughs> getting this. Was that was was that move particularly worked on? Was or was it a case of right? If 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 it, if he pops it back to me, I'm going to have a crack with it. Or was it a case of right? I'll I'll try, I'll try and use whatever part of my body comes first to sort of connect with. Yeah, I think it's just instinct. That to be honest, that I don't, I, I don't remember actually like physically making a decision to do it. Just natural, the, the ball's there, you, you go for it, and uh, luckily it hit me head and went in the right direction, and had enough power on to to go past the keeper. I take it that that has to be a, a career highlight because of the moment and and the, and the celebrations and everything. Yeah, I think I said on a podcast that I did uh, for Kidderminster the other week. Uh, on a personal level, that has got to be the highlight of my career um, as an individual um, to score away at a Premier League ground like that, and especially because it was in front of the fans as well, and to go one nil off, and just I think it was because because it's the FA Cup and it, it gives you a bit of hope. Like if I'd have scored that goal and we were already getting beat three nil, then it's not as big, but it gave us a bit of belief as well um, for that ten minutes. So. Yeah, as a personal standout, that that will be uh, probably the biggest in my career. Can you remember which defender so you give the slip so to? I think I'm trying to think of the pit, back of the picture. I think it could be Shawcross, maybe. Right. Okay. Yeah, it might be. I think it was Shawcross, Hoof, or Cameron. It'd be one of them three. Okay. Did you swap shirts with anybody at the game, or did you keep all the yours, Memento? Yeah, I've got mine. I've just had it framed, to be honest. Um, so, but I'm I'm gutted that I didn't get a shirt, and I don't know why. We we never we didn't seem to go in and get shirts. Whereas obviously we're kidding it to we've just played West Ham, and I got Sue checks. I got Declan Rice did me a personalised signed shirt, which was unbelievable. And I remember thinking, why didn't we get any uh, any Stoke shirts at the time? But I've got a, a pal who knows Robert Hoof, so I've got him to ask me to see if he's got any left over. Uh, now I've thought about it to see if he can get me one. <laughs> Why not, eh? Why not friends in high places? But uh, one hell of a one hell of a moment, and hopefully some some more of those to come. We'll, we'll we'll see what happens with that. So, yeah, take us through to the sort of the the, the latter end of of your seasons and, and time at Wrexham. Obviously, well, before actually before we get there, I forgot to mention that you mentioned not not the fake Gary Mills, but the real Gary Mills, um, the the man himself, um, ex York manager. Just tell us about that second season syndrome, as I refer it to. You said a minute ago that you felt like you were signing players for a laugh. I mean, when 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 players were, were coming through the door, were, were you and the lads on like a WhatsApp group going, "I don't know who this guy is." <laughs> what, what what was yeah. the what was the feeling and the thought? Yeah, because obviously we we had a relatively good season the season before, and we played some great football. We had some good players, and we had a good bond as well. I really enjoyed that season. Um, Really enjoyed working under Millsy and Cask, the two great guys to work for. Um, and I remember at the end of the season, he said to us, oh, go away uh, and I'll ring you all on Friday, uh, let you know if you're getting a new contract or not. He hadn't made a decision on anybody. Um, and I remember Friday comes, still no phone call. Um, and it was the week, it was the next week. And I remember getting a phone call in Portugal um, to say, I want to offer you another contract. Um so I was like, yeah, happy to stay, blah, blah. We went back and forth on a couple of bits, but got it done fairly, relatively quick and easy. But then I just remember the WhatsApp group 
coming through and it was nearly everybody was that's me done lads see uh, I'm not getting a new deal I'm not getting a new deal and I'm thinking what's going on here like, we've had a good season we've, we've just missed out on the playoffs like if he keeps most of these together we're adds a few more we'll be in business next season and literally everybody had gone I think there was only virtually me and Newts that stayed um, and then so well, then over the summer just started seeing on Twitter this player sign this player sign then I remember I remember texting Newts going who's this one we've signed now Jesus Christ have you seen this one we've signed like I just couldn't get my head around it which one which one we referring to Naughty Naughty Kai Edwards <laughs> We're thinking it was the uh, biggest surprise. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to be mentioning names and, and pointing people. But yeah, like Bailey Nichols, Jesus. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, Tom Powell. Yeah. <laughs> Twenty goals a season, Bailey Nichols. Yeah. Matt, just going back to players who, who who were released, which one sort of stood out for you, and you went, oh, I can't believe that one. I, I, I seem to think you remember. Didn't he release Manny? Yeah, I think there was uh, obviously released Manny. Um, I think obviously I think Connor got offered a new contract, but turned it down and went to Tranmere. Uh, I think Jamal Fifield. Um, I think he must have turned a new contract down as well because I think he had an option. Um, and then yeah, who else was then that left? There was Blaine left. Um, okay. Mokey. Uh, yeah. And I think who else we had now. Yeah, it was just, it was just surprising. Right. Yeah, it was a great side for the first part of the season. Yeah, you, just without wanting to sort of retread it, can you sort of put you put your finger on what went wrong that season? Because honestly, up until up until December, I thought it was the best football I'd seen a Wrexham side play for years, and then it all just seemed to combust, and I couldn't I couldn't get my head around it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. We, we, we was as you say, we were playing some great football. We were, we were just boshing teams, and uh, we were looking strong. And and then I'm not sure we had a bit of a a blip, and I don't know. But then even towards the end of the season, we got it going again. Uh, I remember we had we had it went on a run of something like eight clean sheets in a row, um, and we were flying. And then so we and we almost got back up there, and then we just ran it petered out again at the end. Um, I'm not sure it was. I couldn't really put my finger on what, what went wrong that year. Um, I don't know, uh, as you say, but we, we did play some great football. And I don't think we were too far off. I think that team only needed a, a couple of additions and we, we'd have been good. Just on that um, sort of second season recruitment, have you, I mean, I suppose it's difficult, Reach, you don't get to see the goings on in the background, but is there ever been like a plausible explanation of why it was so, you know, like it was, you know, going from, the players we had to, to these players that, frankly, a lot of people had to do research on to find out who they were. Was it maybe something going on at you know a board level or? I, honestly, I don't know. I, I can only give my opinion on it. Uh, nothing, nothing. What I say here now it is facts. So I don't know. It looked as though to me that because we didn't get promoted, they probably. I think he genuinely got rid of the players thinking he would get better and he wanted to go again with better players. So I think he got rid of those. And then I, I imagine when he come back in, his budget was nowhere near what he expected it to be. And then he thought, oh, Jesus, I'm going to have to put a team together here with this budget and just couldn't and ended up having to just get, get what he could, basically. But I genuinely believe, I don't think he got rid of them players 
but for Eddie, I, I genuinely believe at the end of that season, he probably got rid of him thinking, right, we're going to have another right go next year. And then the for some reason or whatever, I'm imagining his budget has been adjusted or it's not what he expected or... and. Um, I don't know, maybe you just thought, if I sign a load of these, I'll, I'll get the sack and can get off. I don't know. It strikes me that um, you know, Gary Mills had a lot of flack, uh, including off myself probably, <clears throat> for his pre-match socialising uh, activities, shall we say. But um, from the players we've spoken to, I do get the impression that quite a lot of the players had respect for him, would that be fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I loved him. I think he's a really, I thought he was a really good manager and I think he's he's flack he gets for the socialising and that it's it's a bit harsh I think at times because yeah obviously on the face value of it it looks like if he's letting the lads have a drink at the day before a game but it's not as if he's letting the lads no one's getting bladdered like it's a case of it's more of a relaxing tactic I think that he does it for and um, obviously we go to in the the pub in Northampton on the way down to away games and he would let the lads have a couple of beers if they wanted to and we'd have a game of Skittles and and that but nothing excessive to that would affect your performance the next day Um, and like sometimes I remember one Friday we got to training and he just said right lads trainers on and we walked to the Pantarock pub had a pint of Guinness and walked back and went right see you tomorrow Um, but like I think the first season as well, the lads bought into it. And I think if you get a squad that buys into it and you're all on the same page, it works. But if you get a squad where only half do and half are rebelling against it, it, it doesn't work at all. You, you've got to make sure that you sign players that, that are on board with it. But me personally, like, it was new to me. I'd never done anything like that in, in my career. Like I wouldn't have dreamed of having a pint before a game um, before then. But... Uh, a couple of times I did and it didn't affect my performance on the Saturday and um, yeah so I, I didn't honestly mind it to be honest Not asking you to um, like name names or anything but were there any players sort of that perhaps you know took the piss a bit with it or was it just literally that just the one or two and and then get on with it Yeah I think I think there was the one time where a couple maybe took it a bit too far uh, but that wasn't a. It was a. It was a one-time thing. And to be fair to, to Gary Mills, he came down on the lads that that did do that. So uh, it wasn't as if he condoned it. Um, I mean, some might say, "Well, you're putting them in the position by taking them to do that." But um, obviously, it, it was a one-time thing, and it didn't happen after that. And, and the boys did have respect for him. So when he said, "No, that's not how we do it," then that didn't happen again. There's so many tales that you've got. So I don't even know where to begin. But is there, is there any particular... There's got to be some good stories. I'm just going to ask you direct. Give us some good, good stories in the club. There has to be a couple where you're thinking that some of them are just, like, hard to believe. There's got to be a couple in there where you're thinking, you'll oh, never... I should have... Yeah. <laughs> I should have had a think back, I? I should have had a think back. <clears throat> the, the one... The, the one time with Gary Mills, I remember, uh, we pulling up at the... We used to have a little sports village there where we used to train sometimes. And I remember uh, Caskey being down in front of the bus and he was like, what should we do today in training? So I don't know. We ended up having a, a massive game of Bulldog in the middle of the field and because he didn't want to put a session on. So we had a game of Bulldog and I remember Blaine Hudson started in the middle and he couldn't catch anybody. And we must have just been running past him for about half an hour. He was blowing. I don't know how he played on the Saturday. 
Oh, poor old Blaine with his dodgy tattoo. Sure. Um, um, yeah. Mark, going ahead a bit. Now you sort of said how sort of how good Ricketts did and how much you enjoyed sort of working under him. Um, when, were you surprised that Graham Barrow took over? And could you see it sort of? I mean, I think they started quite well, but it seemed for fans quite quite evident quite quickly that maybe maybe it wasn't going to work out. And there was, was there anything you could really put your finger on why it wouldn't? Yeah, I mean, he sort of made it clear that he didn't want the job, um, which, and I loved you. I thought he was, he was brilliant. He was brilliant with me. And, but he he was more of a number two. Um, and I think he, he didn't want the and I don't know how it came to him getting it because it was all of a sudden he didn't want the job and then he was getting the job. And um, So I, I don't know how that came about, but uh, obviously he brought in, Mike Newell, which I know Mike Newell, I don't want to say bad things about him because he's had a great career and he's, uh, but Jesus, for us, I don't I don't know what he was doing. Like, he killed G, to be fair. Like, he just come in, he come in first day, didn't even have any boots, didn't, didn't text sessions, didn't do, he took one session, it was an 11 aside on the AstroTurf and you weren't allowed to pass backwards. It was just, it was absolute carnage. I, I don't know what was going on. Um, and yeah, I, he just he just didn't fit at all. The lads didn't take to him. Uh, and I think, yeah, that, that was the the downfall for G. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure why they sort of talked him into the job in the first place, really. Sounds like a game of Bulldog would have made more sense. Than... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it would have. We would have done better playing Bulldog. So after after Graham, am I right? I think it was Brian Hughes came in. Um, or was it? Did we have another? No, it was Brian Hughes, wasn't it? Hughes, yeah. Brian Hughes came in after that. Um, again, player for us. But... Yeah, great player, um, but probably too nice, if anything. I'd say, Re- really nice guy, uh, but probably too nice. Um, and I think, in my opinion, he got it wrong in terms of he tried. We had a good core team at that time, which Sam and Graham had left. And obviously, he took that on and we carried the re- uh, the crest of the wave and we got to the playoffs and obviously should have beat Eastleigh. That was a scandal. Um, and who knows where that would have took us. And then in the summer, he tried to, to rip it up and, and do too much of his own things with it. I think he, he got sucked into wanting to be too attacking and too expansive and and Tim couldn't really work out why we, we weren't keeping as many clean sheets. But obviously, if you take that away and go a bit more attacking, then you're going to compromise somewhere. And he couldn't quite couldn't quite get the balance. Um, but he was just too nice in terms of... And there was no clear structure. Like I remember saying we were, we were conceding goals off set pieces. So we had a meeting about it. And I remember saying, like, this is not working. We need to... And he's saying, well, what, what do you think... And we're like, well, I think we should go man for man. And then he's like, mm, yeah, that, that, well, and it'd always be, never make a decision. It'd be, well, well, do you think that would work? Or what do you want to do? Or, and we're thinking, you're the manager, just, you know, take control of it. And um, and obviously some of the signings that he made that summer uh, obviously didn't quite work out. Um, but I suppose it's... Uh, but I don't really want to knock him too much because obviously it was his first job and he was he was a, a really nice guy. He he was you could see he was trying to do his best, but he just just wasn't clicking from. 
It's a shame. It's a shame it didn't work out. It sounds like he was trying to make a team in, in an image of himself as a player, and maybe that doesn't really work in in non-league circles when you when you're fighting to get out. Um, one person who sort of does know how to build a team is Dean Keach. So obviously he came back in, and there was some sort of division among the fans. Do we want him back after after? after leaving us. What was your sort of opinion on that? And could you see straight away that he could fix the problems that had been left by Brian's signings? Yeah, I think we're, we we said for as soon as uh, Brian left, we said straight away, uh, Keats is the perfect fit to come in and, and do the job. If anyone can come in and get rid of who he doesn't want. And I think recruitment is massive. Keats is really good at recruitment. He gets in players who can do a job and, and good characters as well. Uh, and that, as players, we all thought he, he would be the man for the job. Um, and obviously, he did get the job. And In terms of, um, obviously, I know a few fans think he with him because of the way he left last time. But for us as players, that, that wasn't uh, an issue at all. I mean, when he left at the time, it, it was a no-brainer. For him. There's, I don't know how anybody can begrudge him leaving. He... He turned down numerous approaches from Warsaw at first. Um, he declared that he wanted to stay and he just kept coming back and coming back. And when you get that opportunity, obviously, in management now, it's it's that ruthless. Like, you, you get one shot and, and that's it. And to go back to his boyhood club, um, probably on a, on a contract which he couldn't turn down to go in League One, I think it was it was a no-brainer for him in the end and he couldn't turn that down. So I don't think the, there should have been any animosity to, to him coming back. I mean, Dean did enough to keep us in the league. That's the season he came back and, you know, that's what we needed. In the second season, uh, I know there was there was something on the horizon which no one could really could really predict or, or even fathom when it did happen. Um but what I would say is Keats's style of play got a lot, drew a lot of criticism from fans. Was that something that ever sort of hit the players, or could you see what Dean was trying to do with the budget he had that maybe fans couldn't? Yeah, as you say, that that is a big thing with with the budget that he had. I think if you look at the players he managed to get in on the budget he had, I think you've got to give him credit really, um, because obviously Wrexham's a massive club uh, and. So every year the expectation is we need to get out of the league, we need to get out of the league. But if you actually look back on probably for the majority of the time I was at the club, the budget will not reflect that. We, they would have been probably mid-table on budgets. Um, which So to do the job that, that he did on that budget, I think, uh, was was really good. Um, yeah, so I, I think that he deserves a lot of credit, really. And I know you say the style of, the style of play... Yeah, probably maybe wasn't as as good to watch, but uh, he obviously built from the back, and uh, the foundation was really to, to try and keep the clean sheets first. And um, in my time at Wrexham, a lot of the seasons, the the story was if only we had a goal scorer, if we had a goal scorer, we because we we did keep a lot of clean sheets and um, just needed someone to bang the goals in. But I don't necessarily think that was the case. If we didn't have a goal scorer, it was the way we played. We weren't very expansive to create overly a lot of chances. And sort of naturally leading on, when did you sort of start to get wind that something big might be happening behind the scenes? 
Uh, it was pre-season. Um, that, season, that season we came in and I remember it, we'd just come back from the COVID. Um, so we were, we were having to get changed in the stands. We weren't allowed in the dressing rooms uh, for training. And I remember Spencer coming down and saying uh, he wanted to have a chat with us and just said that they'd been approached by uh, very high-profile investors uh, wanting to invest in a club. And so there was all sorts of rumours going round and I think Gerard Butler was the one everyone thought he was going to be because he got like a granddad or something who's from Wales. So everyone was putting two and two together. And that was Russell Crowe, wasn't it? That was it, sorry, Crow. Russell Crowe. That was the one, yeah. Um, so everyone was was thinking it could be him. And uh, and then I think it was a, I think we played a pre-season game and halfway through the game, it broke on Twitter that it was, uh, that it was Ryan and Rob, which was I mean, even yeah. bigger than... Russell Crowe, like you could, couldn't believe it. I mean, Ryan Reynolds, I mean, that must have just been such a, I don't, even now I can't really sort of sometimes fathom it. I mean, it was at the game on Sunday and then you've got a box of Ryan Reynolds, Rob McElhenney, the, the guy from Game of Thrones, Jason, Ted Lasso was in there and David Will Farrell, Will Farrell, Beckham, yeah, it's madness, isn't it? Absolutely crazy. I mean, how did the players sort of deal with that? I mean, is it just sort of... So my, my line of questioning is is a bit sort of plucked because I still can't believe it. And, and and I don't know what how the sort of players could react to Ryan Reynolds wants to come in and buy and buy your football club. Yeah, it's, well, it's exciting times. And I, I think the boys were excited at the time when they think you put... Also, there was that little bit of, in the back of your head, I think that, well, this could be this could be our days numbered because once something like that happens, they're probably going to want to bring in their own people. And and uh, But for the season, why I was there under it, it was exciting times, a lot of buzz around the place and you're getting to do probably a lot more media work than what you would normally. And, um, yeah, I, I don't, I can't speak for everyone, but but I really enjoyed uh, the, the, the club being more in the spotlight, as, as to say. What about the documentary? Did you find that intrusive at all? Because you know the club did have ambitions on 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 the field um, that season. Was that was that something that, that, that bothered many of the players? No, I think most of the players uh, were on board with it straight away. I think it's obviously a little bit strange at first being mic'd up every day and having to watch maybe watch what you say um, all the time, knowing that there's there's probably a camera on you. Uh, but I think after a couple of weeks, you forget they're there anyway. And you, you just go about your business. And to be fair, all the camera crew and uh, John, the guy, the producer who was running it, was a, was a real nice guy who was around the place a lot. We've we just become friends with him and it uh, just become second nature that, that the cameras would be there. And um, but Obviously, me personally, I, I enjoyed it. And uh, they put a lot of things on for us as well, which was good. Like at Christmas, they took us to a... Santa's Grotto with the kids so they could film it and they did a lot of things like out of, away from football as well which uh, was, was quite good Mark, Do you happen to know if um, the bits from last season that they filmed will be in the documentary or do you know, hopefully you haven't ended up on the cutting room floor or anything like that <laughs> I, I'm not too sure, I've not had any contact uh, for a while with them but I, I know we've all signed disclaimers uh, so that we can be in the documentary um so and yeah i imagine i think is it coming out this summer the first season yeah, yeah. I, I think the first season will be the majority of the season the, my last season at the club um probably building a picture and then i think the second season 
will be the season which has just gone now and hopefully uh, all going well you get the fairy tale ending to the documentary and it'll be a promotion on the end of it just touching on something you said about um you know one thing that happened when the takeover occurs you know you do have it slightly in the back of your mind about you know are we not you know going to get replaced but you know what I mean in by that do you think that had any impact on obviously there was a disappointing end to the season did that have any bearing on that at all yeah, I don't think it did in terms of performance because I think if anything, it probably would have spurred the lads on because I think I think most of the lads basically knew that the, other than the ones obviously that were well, I say that now actually because a lot of them ended up getting getting new contracts. Obviously, I didn't, but I think a lot of the lads basically were under the impression that the better we do, the more chance we have of staying. Uh, and obviously, if we can get promoted this season, then. We we will be staying, so I think it probably gives us a bit more drive, if anything, uh, to to try and do well. I think there was also some suggestion that perhaps the uncertainty over um, Dean Keats's future, you know, might not have helped the situation. When did you become aware that he he might not be, you know, in charge beyond that season? Um, yeah, I, I think that probably wasn't ideal uh, I think he probably should have got some some clarification a bit earlier um, I think he, he probably thought in his head that he would have to get us promoted to keep his job other than other than that then and he won't be but obviously we, we only learned after the season that uh, that he wouldn't be keeping his job but obviously the rumours fly around and everybody was sort of thinking that that uh, Dean would probably not be there next season uh, as a lot of us wouldn't be unless unless we got promoted um, so, and I, I remember the, t- the time uh, halfway through, or probably not halfway through, towards the end of the season when the, it got released about the bonuses, and, and they put it out as a statement on Twitter, which it was I can't believe they did that. I thought that was, and as players, we we were not happy about that, and um, basically had to call a bit of a meeting and say, like, come on, lads, I know it's not ideal what they've done, um, but I, I, like to just to, to release bonuses like that. Um, it's just it just puts us there to be shot at, and uh, yeah. that I don't think that was a a very good thing to do. But obviously, we got on with it, and it is what it is now. Because a lot of that, go, you you know, in details regarding bonuses, I can't, I remember when it came out at the time, I was quite surprised because I was thinking I can never remember seeing that at any level of football really, where you know they're actively publicising. It was almost as if they were saying to the players, "Look, we're putting out there." what you're being incentivised with and, you know, it is a little element. It felt like you're being chucked under the bus. Yeah, it was. Uh, we got a lot of flack for that. I mean, if you, or you only had to read the comments on, under the Twitter and the uh, majority of it was was negative towards us getting any extra bonuses or anything for winning. And uh, as you say, uh, it's unheard of in football for that to be published uh, as common knowledge to the fans and, um, so I'm not sure why that was done, what the idea behind that was, but that wasn't wasn't ideal. And just sort of hypothetically speaking, I mean, you've known Dean Keats for quite a while now. How do you think he would have got on with a budget the size, well, which clearly uh, Phil Parkinson's got a decent budget. How do you think Dean would have got on with that? Yeah, I got asked this question uh, not long ago and I said the same then. I think we'd have been, well, we... Wrexham, I think it would have been right up there. Um, I think if you look at what he managed to do with the budgets that he did have, and 
I'd say one of Dean's strongest points in management is his recruitment. Um, I think he recruits well, gets a good dressing room. They were all pulling in the right direction. Um, so I, I definitely think um, he'd have been up there. Obviously, it's hard to say exactly where, but uh, I do think he probably deserved a shot at it. And I think he would have um, definitely been in and around it. Yeah, I mean, you can obviously ah. take a... Sorry, I'm gone. I was going to say, this season, you can perhaps take a bit of a detached look at Wrexham and you were there on um, on Sunday. What do you make of the you know the team and the the way that we've played? Yeah, I've not I've not seen many games this season. Um, obviously I watched the highlights uh, of the goals and stuff throughout the season, but I haven't actually uh, seen it. and going on Sunday, it probably wasn't the the greatest game for me to to judge the team on cuz uh, obviously I admit the they weren't probably at the best which everybody said um and yeah, so I wouldn't like to pass too much comment on, but obviously you've got a lot of firepower in there. Which when you've got the you've got Mullen and Palmer, and they're obviously above the level, um, could be playing at a couple of levels higher. So when you've got those two, and then obviously Jordan's had a, a great season um, in in terms of goal scoring wise, he's, he's hitting them from everywhere. So with them three in your team, you've always got a chance because you're going to score goals. Um, and I mean, obviously, as saying, I'm only watching from um, Sunday, but once the ball goes out, obviously anywhere in the vicinity of round the box, uh, Big Tozer comes up and launches it in there. And I think that is a, a big factor of of the way you play. Um, I think that adds another dimension, uh, another bit of danger. So I, I remember watching a bit of the Stockport game at home Um to be fair, they were, you won 3-0 and for the first 20 minutes, Stockport were on top, looked the better side, thought could be in trouble today and then one throw into the box, you score a goal and boom, it's game over. So, um, obviously, only I've seen what I've seen. That does seem like that is the, the style of play, you stay in games and the big man throw it into the box and, and score goals that way. Mark, one thing we always do to, to sort of end the podcast is we do a quick fire round and it's just five questions, whatever comes into, you, into your head um, about the players that you played with during your time at Wrexham. So the first one is, who would you regard as the most skillful? Uh, I'd probably say Don Bowles. Yeah. Well, yeah. If he's on your team in possession and training, you're winning because you can't get it off him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, he, he was good at Don Bowes. Um, right, who's the worst dressed? Oh, Jesus. How long we got? <laughs> you can nominate uh, three. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, because I've been there that long for every season. Um, now, just thinking off the top of my head, uh, I'm probably going to have to give Skip a shout. Sean Pearson used to come in and... Uh, Pair of shorts, runners, and a Berghaus jacket like he was going up Snowden. Fair <laughs> play. Um, who is the biggest moaner? Uh, biggest moaner. Oof. Early on in Ashy, big moaner. Um, I think it, obviously Skip, big moaner. Jeno on the pitch, big moaner. Jeno and Skip having rows every five minutes on the pitch. 
Zach James or Connor Jennings? Well, both. But I, I was referring to James. <laughs> but yeah, Connor's big moaner as well. Uh, they can moan at each other, them too. Um, yeah, I'd probably say, probably say that off the top of my head. Who is the most underrated? Most underrated? Ooh. Who didn't really get the plaudits they deserved? Yeah. Um, I think Paul Rutherford's a shout for that one. Um, used to take a lot of stick, but for a couple of seasons back there, he, he was. if Rutherford didn't play, we weren't the same team. Uh, his energy and his, his drive and... Uh, I think he was a, a big player for us that people didn't really appreciate. Um, I think uh, anybody else, really. You can have yeah. Mark Carrington. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll go myself then as well. <laughs> uh, finally, who's the, who's the player you never wanted to fight? Oh, never wanted to fight. It seems like you That's got on quite question. well with everyone, but but there must yeah. be one you wanted to cross. I'm trying to think. But I remember, obviously, not seeing he's a hard man, but do you remember Gold? Oh, that's a team. Yeah, I'm a team. Obviously, the massive, massive guy, big, big guy. And I remember uh, we were training at Collier's Park and... Uh, Cross has come in and he's tried a, a Balotelli back heel from two yards out and, and missed the chance. And I remember obviously Keats, he's what, five foot nothing, comes storming onto the pitch, says to him, if you ever do that again, I'll chin lift you. And I'm thinking, are you having a laugh? Gold's about seven foot and you're about five foot. <laughs> so hang on, are you saying Gold's the hardest or Keatsy? <laughs> yeah, I think I'd rather mess with Gold than Keatsy, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm going to extend that that quick fire question out because I want to know what the best Mark Carrington haircut was because there were several, including the top. Oh, yeah. You had the wave. Had a few, had... What was your favourite one? Do you know what? I, I'm trying to grow it back now because the like the last season, the last season top knot ponytail. I think the the, the ponytail back in the Kev Wilkins season uh, that was a bit rascal. It wasn't quite long enough, and I remember. <laughs> I referred to it on Sunday when uh, we went to Wembley and I said, I remember warming up there in the trophy final against Ferriby and uh, just getting battered off all the Ferriby fans saying I've got a pineapple on my head. Uh, <laughs> that, well, that one wasn't great, to be honest, but uh, but I did like the, the longer ponytail, uh, what I had uh, in the last season at Wrexham. Uh, I'm going to see if I can get that back. Get it on. Mark, did you ever inspire any Jay Harris haircuts? <laughs> yeah, I, I inspired a lot of Jay Harris haircuts. Uh, He's been known to to try and get a carrow every now and again. I've got a picture of him actually after that trophy final on the bus on the way home with a tiny, tiny little top knot in his hair. <laughs> I'll have to try and dig it out. You have to dig that one out and send it over. That's quality. And uh, I, I just want uh, curious, just you know, to the wider context, not just Rex and career, but who was the most difficult opponent you ever faced? At like any at any level, I'm just you know whether that's in an FA Cup tie, whether it's in any of the lower divisions or anybody in particular, because you know we we've got you down as this. We don't like the, the utility player tag because I think you've said in the past it can be a bit of a hindrance when when that's mentioned. Yeah, you've played against a lot a lot of teams, a lot of players. Is there anybody that that you thought, how am I going to get this guy's number because he's decent? Yeah, I think. Um... 
I've always said when I was at Crew, when I was um, younger, we played Liverpool in the Carabao Cup, and I played against John Arnarisa. I remember right. playing right wing, and he played left back, and he just set off every time they got the ball, and I couldn't stay with him. He was an absolute machine. Uh, but then I'd probably say as well this season now after playing against Declan Rice, uh, he's a complete level above. Uh, obviously, he came on at half time and totally changed the game. You just you can't get near him. He, he shows you the ball. You think you're going to win it, and he just explodes past you. And uh, there's you can tell that he's, he's another level. Pretty good company to to be to be captain. I think definitely. <laughs> so yeah, I mean. <laughs> Looking ahead, obviously you went, you took the family on on Sunday to, to Wembley. It wasn't the, the the best of displays by any stretch of the imagination. Um, when you're in that position as a player and you've you've had a decent run, I mean Wrexham have had a very good run since since January of things to, to finish second, and then we've had sort of stinky back to back defeats for the first time this season. When you're a player and you have a wobble like that. At whatever point in the season, what what's the kind of the message that that that's conveyed for the team, whether it's just amongst the players or from the management? Because I mean, I, you know, quite rightly, we're looking for a little bit of hope now going into Saturday's game. It's like, yes, we've had a wobble, but surely, surely that they're, they're going to look at that and go, we can't afford any more. Um, you know, going into this game, so you know, can can you can you see them? I mean, there, there has to be an improvement from Sunday, doesn't there? It has to be. Yeah, I think there does, but I think there will be as well. I think um, they've just got to reset this week, uh, get back to go back to basics. Do remember what's got them where they are and what what's uh, what stood them in good stead. And um, I think they've got to re- not dwell on the last two games and remember how well how well they have done. And I think I, I mean I don't know. I heard a lot of people saying that the team he played on Saturday was a bit strange. Some of the plays he played in positions, and I think he's got to get back to playing. What is his best team? Um, where where the success has come from, um, and hopefully, yeah, that that will be enough. And I think it will. And I think what you've got to remember is you're thinking, oh, you've had a bit of a wobble last couple of games, but from the outside looking in, nobody's going to want to come to the race course. Like Grimsby are going to be coming thinking we have got a big job on our hands here. Like they're not thinking you've lost the last two games. You know what they're thinking? Wrexham at home is probably the toughest game we could have gotten. There's a fear factor there, and you've got to play on that and uh, make sure that you start the game fast and put it on the toes and uh, make sure they know they're in a the game. Well, I'll take that. I'll run with that one all day. <laughs> so, fingers crossed. Brilliant. Yeah, um, Matt. Yeah, Matt. I mean, thank you so much for your time and uh, a genuine thank you for for everything you've done for Wrexham. I'm sure you know every, every fan of every other club you've turned out for will say the same thing. You know, it's easy for us to sit here and and, and say uh, and give you loads of compliments just just because you're on here. But I think that the, the fact of the matter is, every time you played, you gave your all, and you know, nothing was ever too much. I think I think that's fair to say. It's like if you were asked to play a position, you just got on with it, and you played nine times out of ten. It was always like, yeah, it's a solid six, seven, eight out of ten minimum. You know, it was always that case. So I think I think. Um, we have to give you massive, massive credit for that, and and yeah, I think you, you, you know you were a fantastic servant for the club, and um, 
good luck with with retirement. Good luck with the family business. Makes it sound like the mafia, the family business. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, good luck with everything. And like I said, open invite. If you ever want to come back on in future, you're more than welcome. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for for agreeing to do this and for 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 shedding some light on some of those uh, excellent stories you've just given. Yeah, brilliant. No worries, guys. Anytime. Uh, yeah, obviously, I really enjoyed my time at Wrexham and it was nice to go back on Sunday and uh, the amount of fans that came up to me and shaking hand and just as you've done there, just saying thanks for your service to the club. And uh, It was really nice nice to hear and nice to know you've uh, been appreciated in, in some capacity over the years, which was which was good. Great Go stuff. Thanks, Mark. Cheers, thank you. Well, thanks very much, Mark Carrington. Really, really good chat with him. He's a he's a funny guy. He um, some really good tales there. Um, but you know, for eight seasons, he probably was Mister Rexon, played in every position, and I think you can tell from that chat he's still got a real affinity for the club. Right. Business end of the season means predictions. Um, I am delighted to say that I did not finish last. Um, the person who did finish last is is not even here, so we can decide his um, we can decide his forfeit now. If he's still uh, are we going to pull his teeth out like Tommy Cowes wants to? No, they've got beef that pair, haven't they? I think you know <laughs> they should they should fight or oh, then kiss. Uh, Reese Williams. Um, I, I think we should shave what little hair he's got left, and then he should dye it red for the first home game of the season. So he looks Yaz for the old for the older heads. Do you remember Yaz? Proper short, crazy hair. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. The only way is up for Reese. Yeah. <laughs> so we're still open. Look, we're still open to uh, to suggestions on this. Um, I do like the idea of him having to dye his hair. That would be quite good, especially if he's then then reporting on some sort of horrific uh, murder case. Uh, <laughs> after. He has to wear a wig. It looks like Michael yeah. Fabricant. Yeah, but a fan wig. <laughs> anyway, oh. that's enough about Reese's uh, Reese's um, follically challenged. Yeah, we've got um, we've got a few good guests lined up in the next few weeks, but we'll keep you posted on them. We might we'll probably have a little summer's break as well couple of weeks just to recharge everyone's batteries be back in the swing of it once uh once we can start making some high profile signings which i hope they will so yeah. from everyone here goodbye have a good one take care speak to you soon cheers